0: This is a Rooster Teeth production. In
1: 1970, a family's weekend hike was interrupted when the two daughters discovered the badly burned corpse of a woman. Their discovery kick-started an investigation involving multiple fake identities and possible government intelligence work, and it remains unsolved to this day. Today, we discuss the facts surrounding the case of the Isdale Woman. This is Red Web. Welcome back to another Mystery Monday. I'm Trevor Collins and with me, as with every week, I drag him through these spooky, scary mysteries, Alfredo Diaz. Here we go
0: again. This one seems like a classic kind of like government conspiracy Ooh. slash murder. You know what I mean?
1: There's a lot of ingredients here, and, and I will call them ingredients when it comes to uh, the recipe of mystery, that remind me of the Tamam Shud case. So kind of look for those as we uncover this. We This is a case that we did a long time ago, a few weeks ago, rather, right. about the uh, the Australian man or the, the mystery man that wound up on a beach. It's very reminiscent of that. But a burnt victim. But a burnt victim this time. And a woman. <laughs> and, uh, and I'll go ahead and say this right out the gate. A lot of the proper Proper nouns and cities, you know, names are all Norwegian in some way. And I'll do my best right. to pronounce those with as close of accuracy as possible. But I appreciate when you guys tweet me anyway, because, you know, proper nouns, they have the right way to say them. It's just going to get butchered here. But it's a very fascinating case. It was one I actually I didn't know about until Christian and Jillian did the outline and research for this stuff. And uh, it, it's just one of those cases that you just feel, again, that you have so much information that it's like it's titillizing. Hmm.
0: I feel titillized.
1: Ooh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, let's let's put on our badges. The task force is out in full strength. Oh, by the way, Red Web Radio. Ooh, it is out. You might have seen it on the podcast feed. We also have it on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash achievement hunter where we do a lot of other content, a lot of other goofs and shenanigans. But yeah, Red Web Radio in collaboration with uh, Jen Coomber who did all the music and sampled all of our uh, lovely voices from several episodes. It's basically like a lo-fi radio that you can either study to or work to or hey, if you're in the mood, investigate to. So let us know what you like about that or if you enjoyed it. Uh, We're thinking about doing more projects projects like that down the way. With that out of the way, let's let's dive into the timeline of and and everything that was found at the scene of the crime. November 29th, 1970, a family was on a Sunday hike in the Isdalen Valley up in Norway, Uh, also translates to Ice Valley or is called Ice Valley. The two young girls of the family noticed a strange smell and found a woman amongst the boulders. They then ran the long way back to the nearby town of Bergen, Norway and when police arrived, they said it smelled badly of burned flesh. The front of her body had suffered from extremely severe burns. Her arms were up in that boxer position, uh, aka the pugilistic stance that is reminiscent of burn victims. It's where the arms are crossed out in front of the body, uh, essentially caused by the heat of the fire, it makes the muscles constrict and stiffen. Even after death, it can make you raise your arms into a stance that's reminiscent of that of a boxer in a defense stance.
0: Oh, I've seen that in a couple uh, horror movies.
1: Yeah, it's 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 spooky. It's unsettling. Imagine how
0: oh, oh god that. Must be traumatizing, right? Like, mm. um, you're over there with your family. But then again, like.
1: The little girls found it. Did the little girl find it? Yeah, the, the two little girls found it. They went, like, Mom, something stinks. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, see, that's. Yeah, very traumatizing. That's unfortunate. So, while her face was burned beyond recognition, her back was completely unburnt. Uh, looking at the body, they determined the woman was about 5'5", five, five, so 5 foot 5 inches, and was assumed to be around 20 to 30 years old. As for the fire, there was no specific source of it anywhere, so they're not exactly sure what was the source of the fire, how it ignited, where it ignited, etc but on the ground nearby were a couple of different objects, ranging from small bottles of water to burnt paper. Uh, there were blue rubber boots. There were 12 sleeping pills, a broken umbrella, stockings, a tiny ring and a plastic case that were assumed to be from a passport photo or for a passport photo, um, and a watch that was set to 10 minutes past 10. Now, the reason I mentioned that is because typically, and I don't know if you've heard of this, Fredo, but when you look at an advertisement for a watch, Keep an eye out because typically, like 99% of the time, the clock is set to 10:10. 10, 10. Hmm? Basically, makes a V pattern on the watch. Typically, that's just aesthetically pleasing.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, I was about to say because it looks nice, because it does. It just it just looks nice. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: just it just looks nice. But what does that mean here? Why was the watch found at the scene set to 10:10? Uh, and so, unless it was just coincidence that the watch died at that time police at this point were thinking okay maybe this was a new watch that was recently bought in stores and hadn't been ticked to life right that the battery uh, maybe wasn't installed or you know there's a little paper thing that you pull out i don't know this is the 1970s uh, so who's to say but that's
0: interesting uh, i mean like yeah sure it's 1970s but like i don't know if you bought if you buy a watch and you're invested enough to actually put it on hmm i i never i would never put on a watch and be like ah it's not on yet or it's not working yet and then just i'll get to it later right like it's just something like if you slap it on you make sure it's working then you keep then you go on about your day
1: maybe she just wanted to look good wanted to look smart <laughs> yeah. wanted to look sophisticated put on a watch Big fan of uh, 1010, that's all. Just thought it was a bracelet, man. I, maybe she didn't know what time was yet. I don't, I don't know. know. But the, the, the real thing is, is that she wasn't wearing the watch. It was found on the ground nearby. And so when it comes to the watch and the ring in particular, it is uncertain if it belonged to her or someone else. And there was a hat as well found below her body, underneath it, because she was on her back. And this hat had traces of petrol right? Or gasoline on it. Mm-hmm. And it was the only thing remaining entirely unburned because it was essentially protected by her body being underneath her. Um, so now we have the entrance of petrol in the scene that's, that, you know, perhaps she was doused with gasoline before being lit, but it really starts to make you wonder, was this before death? Was it the cause of death? You know, there's a lot of things going on here. So
0: the the hat was under the burnt body?
1: yes so all of these items i listed were found in the ground nearby but when moving her they found a hat was underneath her so so the thing here is because i
0: was like you know you you talked about how this body was burnt and you know the back was was not Mm -hmm. and there wasn't any signs of like any type of fire around or nearby so to me i thought to myself okay this person uh met an unfortunate death and then was moved here but then why would they put the hat that's intact underneath yeah yeah that throws me off
1: there's some like some loose ends but we're we're going to start trying to stitch this whole thing together there's some more evidence to be had but as of right now at just like the gut instinct level it's uh just question mark central for me
0: yeah i'm with you yeah
1: on top of that though we're looking at some real interesting stuff i haven't heard this since christopher nolan's joker all of the labels on the bottles nearby were rubbed off, and the labels on her clothes were all cut out so as to obscure the origin of any of these products. Whew. I mean,
0: <laughs> was she drinking something real fancy that they would hone in on, like, you know what
1: I mean, exactly what bottle it is? I mean, maybe. Yeah, it could be, right? Again, like, there, there's uh, there's some stuff to be divulged. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's uh, th- this is really where I start to go, okay, what what is... What is this woman up to? Right. That she's, I mean, listen, I cut the tags off if they're feeling, it's feeling scratchy. I mean, it's the 1970s. Michael Jordan hasn't done the Haynes commercial where it's tagless, right? That hasn't
0: happened yet. (laughs) We're not tagless yet. We're not tagless. (laughs) The technology
1: has not met where we are today. So maybe she's just cutting it out because it's scratchy. Maybe the the bottles got rubbed off from use. Like, I don't want to look too deep, but it really starts to, you know, I got some flags raising. Do we know that she rubbed it off? Someone did. Yeah. Okay. I I was
0: about to say, I mean,. Sounds like somebody did, but I don't know if it would exactly be her.
1: So note that one. And then the area that the body was found uh, was known to be particularly difficult when it came to the terrain. It was extraordinarily rocky. And during this season, right, the November season, it tended to be wet, which would make it extraordinarily slippery. And meaning if you were hiking in this area, ooh, Danger Central, Okay, you're going to you're going to slip on a rock. Not good. In fact, this this area was by locals known to not be meant for hiking. This was a place nicknamed Central. Death valley for that reason okay you don't go to this area intentionally what are these parents doing taking their kids yeah, to that's Death that's a good valley. question you know what that hold, hold on pause the mystery tapes click the cassette <laughs> back right. up for a second what what are these parents thinking letting their two young little girls go running about amongst the boulders <laughs> when it's wet and slippery to find this yeah room? All right, time for our annual trip over at Death Valley.
0: Get ready, if you. Hey, hopefully you make it back this time.
1: (laughs) uh, (laughs) What your brother last year? Who's to say if he made it? I don't know. Listen, (laughs) uh, you're right. That is actually a really good question. What were they doing in this area? That's odd. But if yeah, uh, for the annual hike in Death Valley, uh,
0: dude, I had no idea. Like, why would you take your kids there? They're so young. It's not like they're like, oh, they're teenagers. They Mm -hmm. seem really, you know, they're really young. But um you talking about how it gets really wet and slippery and boulders start sliding down or are we like getting to the fact that this
1: might be placed somewhere else and then slid down that way? So far, I mean, these are the kind of gut instinct observations that one would have, right? These are the things that when the police yeah. got there, these are all the things that they note. Thankfully, and also not so thankfully, a lot more will be divulged over the course of this case. Uh, does that lead to an answer an answer that like resolves everything in a nice way uh you know jury's gonna be out on that one yeah I hate to spoil <laughs> it but like yeah. that's what this show is baby but yeah so let's go back we'll get back on track here a little bit Death Valley. Uh, you know known for its many falls and accidents you know there are a lot of myths and stories revolving around this location in fact during the middle ages supposedly people went here to end their lives so it really has a dark history oh god so it's haunted it could be haunted but yeah a lot of a lot of myths around it a lot of accidents around it it's just a place that's no good okay just don't take your kids there (laughs) all right no goo no goo but the next day Bergen police asked for assistance from the Norwegian National Criminal Investigation Service, aka Kripos, or Kripos, we'll come back to that, Uh, and during the autopsy, they found that the woman had swallowed around 50 to 70 sleeping pills. What? Because of the amount that she had had, her body was not able to absorb them all. Uh, They also noticed that she had a bruise on her neck, but yeah, 50 to 70 sleeping pills is certainly a red flag for self-harm damn i don't got the patience
0: for that You I don't know, don't to, like,
1: I, uh, i'd be choking them up that's that's holy
0: a, that's, hell that's such a long process like you're really committed there so
1: and that or, or unless someone forced them down you know
0: yeah i mean also jesus someone again really committed forcing someone to down what that many like 40 70 or whatever that
1: fact alone on the surface just feels so mundane but when you really analyze what that truly means 50 to 70 sleeping pills found in someone's stomach yeah it sends a shiver down my spine knowing that Either someone was forced that amount or someone knowingly, they were in a position where they knowingly had to take something or opted to take something like that. It's extraordinary, regardless of how you look at it and very upsetting. But when continuing the autopsy, they noticed that soot was found in her lungs. And because of this, they then determined that regardless of when she died and how she died, that she was still alive while she was being burned because she would have to ingest the fumes in order for that soot to be placed there. No. Yeah.
0: Yeah, see, that's unfortunate because that just sounds drowning and um, and being burnt alive just seems like the most painful things.
1: Yeah, not not good. But police and coroners, you know, to kind of get at the question that you, I know you're asking and I know you're feeling, they were not able to figure out when she got there, when she died, uh, when the fire started, or, you know, if she died there and was moved or died somewhere else and was moved or we really just don't know. But at this point, uh, the police are assuming that this was a suicide. Uh, And it was determined that her death was caused by the sleeping pills and the carbon monoxide poisoning. And with no way to identify her, she became simply known as the Izdal Woman, basically named after the place that she was found. But now, those are all the facts, right? Around the body, around finding the body, etc. This is really where the case starts to get interesting. Now, we're not fully into the investigation or anything or all the leads, But a few days later, two suitcases were found in the railway station in Bergen, which again was a town very close nearby. It's the town that the family ran to. The suitcase had been stored since November 23rd, six days before the body was found. Inside the suitcase were a lot of different things. Wigs, makeup, and fashionable clothing. Plastic bag, a matchbox, some teaspoons. Glasses that weren't of a certain prescription, or in fact they were no prescription. Uh, some sunglasses, prescribed eczema cream. and several denominations of money, from Norwegian kroner, to marks to Swiss, Belgium, and uh, British coins. And a notepad with a coded message on it. And so from all this, this really starts to paint a very vivid image of what to me, what sounds like a spy, right? Just from classic movies. Yeah, I was about to say, this a damn spy. Right. And what's interesting is unlike other cases of this type, they were immediately able to connect this suitcase to the Isdal woman after finding a matching fingerprint on the sunglasses. And what's interesting here is that all of the labels on the clothes the cream and the makeup in this suitcase were all removed just like the person and the belongings around the person that were found even the labels on the comb and the hairbrush were rubbed away basically trying to i don't know increase their anonymity or prevent anybody from tracking where she was perhaps
0: yeah that's spy tactics
1: it's very spy tactics
0: yeah you learned that in spy school oh yeah yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they're like, <laughs> it's the, it's the second semester that they, they oh, yeah, no, I,
1: I dropped out. Yeah. I snuck out. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was
0: a, it was an elective <laughs> for me. <so. laughs>
1: elective meaning you just kind of uh, Googled it in yeah, your, in your yeah. spare time. I
0: Googled it. And I was, I just walked, I walked in, I knocked on some doors, set some password and I sat down I went, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then I was like, you know what? Nah, this life's not for me. <laughs> Cause that's how spying, that's how it works when you're signing up to be yeah, a spy. Yeah, you know,
1: they let you in. And then when you're ready to go out there, yeah, just cut loose. You're free, man. Yeah. <laughs> you're free to go. Now what's interesting here. And, and I think this is kind of answering the question that you kind of proposed earlier, which is why, why go to that length? Can they really track you down by these labels? Well, only two labels were found one on the matchbox and one on the plastic bag. The matchbox label was for an erotic German underwear shop, oh. and the plastic bag label was for a Norwegian shoe store. And now here's where my, um, you know, my pronunciation goes south. But Oscar Ruttvelt's footwear store. So now we have two stores that the police can go after, and this is where the the sightings and the leads and the investigation really starts to take off. So police actually questioned the employees who remembered this woman, uh, but they questioned the employees at the shoe store in Stavanger, Norway about 130 miles away from Bergen. To their memory, they described her as a well-dressed woman with brown hair and small brown eyes, around face, around waist, and hair down to her shoulders. They also said that she had a South European look about her with golden skin, and that she spoke with an English accent that was hard to identify, or rather that she spoke in English with an unidentifiable accent. They also said that she smelled strange and it took years, apparently. Years later, only then realizing that they described the smell as a garlic smell. What? I'll be honest, maybe garlic isn't super common in Norwegian dishes, but man, if someone smells of garlic, I'm gonna know it. Yeah, wait, it took them
0: years? So like years after asking mm-hmm. the the
1: workers these questions, they were like, I mean, like what happened there? So they basically just said, yeah, the woman was here, this, that, the other. Uh, she had a strange smell, about her uh, but that's it and I guess years later they came back and and maybe they scooped up an Italian dish or something that has I'm just making something up but maybe (laughs) maybe they stumbled across some garlic uh, Uh and and smelled it and went oh my god you know when you you smell something and it connects a memory in your olfactory senses they might have just had that where they had something with garlic smelled it and went oh my gosh that's the smell and then you know, like, good citizens went back to the police and said, yeah. hey, I know this is old. It's
0: like a, that's a raven, but, like, it's a flashback instead of, like, a flash forward. It's a flashback, I mean? and, and it goes up the nose. It you, you get sucked right back in. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, did the, the police locked the hell out. I mean, could yeah. you imagine if they found, I don't know, maybe, like, a cardboard of a Happy Meal, and it's like, oh, my goodness, this woman was at McDonald's. <laughs> and then it's like, well, which one? There's, like, 50 of them. Right. They were able to, like, identify the place. Uh, which they're one, lucky that they found labels, period. But then mm-hmm. two, we're able to, you know, it wasn't some place that was like in abundance, right? There wasn't like a million of these stores.
1: And maybe, you know, and maybe that was the 1970s. Maybe there were more local places. True. Maybe there were less chains. And that's just like the the sign of things changing, you know. But what's also interesting to me that stands out is that she was remembered. I don't want to get ahead of myself again, but it is worth noting, because there is an an ever-present kind of like, how did so many people remember this woman? And I think around this time that Norway didn't have a particular tourist boom, that foreign travelers weren't super common. And so that could kind of reason out maybe why she was memorable. Mm. Um, but that certainly stands out to me at this moment. Like, how do they remember her this well? I guess, was she here recently for sure? Because they got no identity to go off of. They have a purchase to go off of, you know? Right. But anyway, you know, they said this woman smelled strange, perhaps of garlic. And the owner, Rolf Rotvelt, said she spent a long time in the shop, that she was indecisive, but not nervous, that she was just kind of perusing quite a bit. And when Rotvelt went downstairs to get her size, she called out to him in another language that he thought was either French or German, which, man, that's a frustrating you know delineation like you you want to be able to hone in i'm like man what what, was it german or french dude come on because they're you know they sound distinctly different but you know if it's if she's calling out to him and you're not familiar with it you know it's fair
0: i can't imagine how frustrating it must be like I don't know man to be a detective it just feels like mm-hmm. how many cases do you not crack and how many times you just you just wind up with dead ends and that's frustrating
1: so right now you know they're going out they're gathering all the puzzle pieces they're they're still in the interesting phase like oh we're we're still like divulging new stuff uh, it's when we, we try to put it all together that it really starts to become more frustrating Mm-hmm. But sounds like she returned to that store the next day to buy blue rubber boots. And these were the same boots as the ones that were found near the body. So now we start to have more of a lead here and more connective tissues. And it was determined that the woman then left Stavanger. That was where, you know, where the shop was the same day that she purchased those boots uh, and then went off. So police started to ask nearby stores and hotels if anyone in the area had seen anyone matching this kind of id the id that was given to them by the store employees their search then led to a uh, hotel just minutes from the shoe store called hotel saint spithan the woman stayed at that hotel from november 9th to the 18th under the name of fenella lorch so now i'm rubbing my hands together going boom the task force knows what's going on we got a name now damn lucky break and they remembered this woman well, they said. How does everyone remember this woman? <laughs> I know. They, 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 what? She must have stood out. She must have stood out. So the Isdal woman told the bellboy working at St. uh that she was from Belgium. She spoke in English, once again, with an accent, had a unique look for the area of Norway that w- they were in. And she also had a serious demeanor. Again, witnesses were unsure of what accent she had, only that she had one. Uh, The hotel staff also noticed that she had a gap between her two front teeth and said that she was not shy, but did seem to have some sort of agenda. Okay, so we have a confident woman uh, who is out here, you know, she's dining for one, she's traveling alone. Kind of abnormal for the 1970s, you know, but she had a confidence about her, but definitely seemed focused. Like, she knew what her next step was. Right.
0: I just, man... I don't know, like, I passed, I mean, before the pandemic, passing by so many people, and I just, I can't imagine just remembering such details like that about somebody.
1: It's a lot, man, and and that only, the only thing I can go on is if tourism is, low or slow right Mm -hmm. uh or foreign travel to to norway or toward towards this city in particular was low during this time then this person yeah it would stand out like a sore thumb and if you did id this person and then they are on the right track because of the purchases then you know you can start to say oh yeah no the woman with the blue boots i remember that but yeah outside of that you got me they also said that she wore a fur hat one of the staff then later realized that the hat was from Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan. A lot of products from a lot of different places. Germany, uh, Norway, mm. and then the Middle East or, or yeah. further out uh, towards uh, Eastern Europe.
0: Look, that was, you know, that was the third semester of spy school. It was uh, it was titled Spies Be Traveling.
1: Spies Be Getting
0: Around. Yeah. And, you know, they tell us about how you always moving, you always running mm. around. So, I mean, this this is adding up.
1: Man, I want you to pin that just for a hot second, because that would have been the best segue for one of these. I've got a note down here, Mm -hmm. but we'll get to it. I don't want to listen. When I go off the rails on my outline, I, I get lost. No worries. But when she left the hotel, she took a taxi to a nearby ferry. The taxi driver remembered her as well, Okay, and described her as having a sexy body and a gap between her front teeth. This taxi driver also indicated that she was from Belgium, or at least that's what she told him. But investigators ultimately found no record of a Finella Lorch anywhere in Norway or in Belgium. And in fact, the passport that she was using, the number on it, was found to be false or falsified in some way. Investigators then started to uh, cross-examine her handwriting that they found on the hotel card with the coded message that was found near her body, as well as handwriting found from across the hotels across Norway. And they found that she had stayed in multiple hotels in multiple cities, or at least somebody with similar handwriting did. In total, she used at least seven different names, meaning she had seven or at least several fake passports. She had also already been in Bergen back in March of the very same year, eight months prior to her death. And she had also been in Stavanger in October, the month before her death. So spies be traveling. Yeah, spies be traveling. Spies be traveling, <laughs> spies be using different names. On a mission. Yeah. And uh, and what's interesting when it came to her handwriting and analyzing it, she usually wrote in German and in her writings, she indicated that she was between 25 and 30. But again, you know, if she's saying her name is Fenella Lorch, she could say, I'm Fenella Lorch. I'm 25. And then she could say, like, my name's Helen Bunt. And I make cakes and I'm 30, you know, like she's indicating her age range, but that doesn't mean necessarily what her real age range is. Mm. And then ultimately, when asked about her reason for traveling, she had stated to various people that she was trading goods and antiques. For someone who I th- I am so far thinking. is,
0: the <laughs> Yeah, they are making a lot of connections and being very recognizable to people,
1: <laughs> right? You, you got quite the footprint here. Um, and I got to be honest, man, if I was watching a movie and someone's a spy, you know, or maybe reading like, uh, you know, like a like a, a mid-tier book about spies, come on, <laughs> trading goods and antiques. That's your that's your reason for traveling and <laughs> being a spy. It's just like, OK. It's like the episode of Survivor I watched the other day. This Boston guy is trying to disguise the fact that he's a police officer, which he very clearly is. Oh, Tony? No, no. I I know what season you're on. Not Tony. It's another guy. (laughs) Another guy. Earlier season. Another uh, person. Gen X and Millennials. Yeah, he's okay. So he's super Boston. He's super cop. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But he's like, yeah, I'm a mortician. I'm like, come (laughs) on, man. You pick the most obscure thing and say, yeah, that's what I do. I'm a mortician. Anyway, with the details of her stay at different hotels, cryptologists were able to discover that the Isdal woman's coded messages that were found at the scene were actually shorthand for her stays at those hotels. And from that, they were then able to figure out that she had stayed in Paris, France, and that she was found to have spent the most time in in a place that starts with the letter R. That was undetermined as to what that was. Uh, her, Her code wasn't entirely solved. But yeah, I'm really starting to think spy stuff. In fact, this information was then sent to many other countries, but none could identify her. And uh, and what's interesting is the last line of this coded message was was never figured out. It reads ML23NMM. That's it. It doesn't seem like it's a hotel stay, at least not obviously. Right. Perhaps it was unfinished. It could be um, a timed coding for like a timestamp. Or, or a location or a hotel, uh, or it could be unfinished. So as to say, anybody that knows, like I'm gonna put this part of the code down and then when I complete the mission or whatever, I'll put the other code down. But if I die, oops, mm-hmm. you know that it wasn't me, you know? I don't know, there, it's just like, it really starts to open up more doors the more information comes in. But it really feels like spy talk, right?
0: Oh yeah, that's what I'm leaning towards right now. So I can't, that's why I can't wait to get to the theories. I'm like,
1: hmm. Yeah. Well, when they were looked up, it turns out that every name and every passport that she used were all falsified. Multiple hotel employees remembered meeting the Isdal woman. In fact, Alvid Ragnis, who worked at Hotel Neptune, described her as fashionable and sophisticated and they were impressed with the fact that she could confidently travel alone, like I mentioned earlier. Uh, this was very atypical for a woman of the 1970s. And uh, and that she spoke English and sometimes used German phrases, which kind of corroborates the French or German phrase that was shouted towards the shoe uh, store owner up in Norway. And here, here's where we bring that pin. Unpin it back off the, the, the bulletin board. Bring it back down, okay? All right. Spies be moving. She often asked to change rooms, In fact, one stay, she asked to change rooms three times at one hotel. So this is three times changed within at most a week. Perhaps within days, she's like, I got to change rooms. I got to change rooms again. And she called taxis often when she left. So as to almost kind of hide her footprint, right? Not hiding it well, though. Not hiding uh, it well enough. uh, What Man, like change hotels at that point change hotels yeah i mean maybe she did dude and and that's true yeah changing rooms at the same hotel is certainly going to raise some flags yeah Uh, she had some interesting habits and i think that part of those habits were just like is that spy behavior is that just like are you trying to hide some tracks but to me you're just like making yourself uniquely memorable right yeah exactly but it's one of those
0: things like literally everything she's doing is just like well this isn't a normal thing people don't usually do this Mm -hmm. so it really it very much stands out and it it doesn't make me think that this is a person with like a normal job or normal life.
1: Right, and and also it could be a lot of different things. We're, we're kind of thinking on the spy train, but- Yeah. Uh, and again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves with theories and stuff, but it's also worth thinking about like, is this woman being traced in some way? Is this woman being followed Stalked by someone who and... knows her, right? It, it, it might not be something so sinister. It could rather so uh, governmental and so global. It could be more personal and sinister, right? So we we really just, it's just hard to know. But she often asked to change rooms. But at this hotel in particular, Hotel Neptune, the handwriting on the card was visually very different from the other handwritings that have been seen thus far. And handwriting experts found that the last hotel she stayed in was Hotel Horta in Bergen. But from these differing handwritings, experts started to say that she's working very hard to conceal her true handwriting. I don't know if it is that they're looking at just totally different sets of handwriting and saying she's trying to disguise it, yeah, or if there's something at the core of this handwriting that is still indicating to them that this is the same person, but that they are manually trying to make it look different. You know, letters of different sizes, Mm -hmm. trying to make your handwriting look less fluid. Really trying to change it up. Yeah, so they're probably going like, listen, Uh, I think we're on the right track in that she's just trying to cover up her own handwriting. So she's trying, but she's not sweeping up those footprints very well. At this hotel, at Hordeheimen in Bergen, she stayed from November 19th to the 23rd. So that's six days before her death, uh, or at least before she was found. She stayed in a corner room and its window had a view over the entire street. Perhaps she wanted this. Perhaps she wanted to have a vantage point. I don't know. And the employees also described her as having a strange scent and called that scent spicy. That's all they could refer to it as. Uh, She was described as elegant. She smoked cigars and she usually had the do not disturb sign up on her door. Hmm. Now here's what's interesting. And now here's what makes someone memorable and really ruffles the feathers of covering up your tracks. When she was in the room, she moved the armchair out of the room and into the hallway. But when she was out, you know, out and about doing whatever, she moved the chair back into the room. I don't know why. I don't know what she was after, but she's certainly drawing attention.
0: Yeah, there's no way this is a spy. This isn't a spy.
1: Maybe she didn't get to semester four, which was leave the furniture where it belongs. <laughs> yeah. Hide yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Hide yourself. Move a lot. Like,
0: moved off. And
1: what? oh, crap. I was supposed to cover my trails.
0: That also happens when you flunk out.
1: She, like Because on one hand, she's cutting off tags. She's like trying to disguise her handwriting. And then on the other hand, she's, hey, everybody, I'm unique to the area. Yeah. I'm from what Belgium. I'm doing, like- I
0: moved furniture in and out of my room. Yeah, no, th- there's no way in hell this could be a swag. Come on. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't add up.
1: Maybe. Hey, let's open up to the paranormal a little bit. Oh, God. Maybe a ghost like to sit in that chair at night and it just scared her a little bit. Yeah. Maybe maybe every single one of these hotel rooms. We're haunted, and she just wanted to get away from it. You know, the worst kind of ghost are the ghosts that haunt you, Fredo. You can't escape. <laughs> from have get away from the hotel, period. Not <laughs> the next room.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, this hotel is haunted. Can I get another room?
1: <laughs> yeah, you're like, it's like you're 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 Jack, whatever his name is, Jack Torrance. You're at the Shining Hotel, and you're you're like oh, the Overlook Hotel, and you're like, right, yep. All right, the gig for the winner, a place to write my book. Ooh, little haunted can we get a new room haunted yeah can you (laughs) different floor please (laughs) different floor it's just like everybody
0: knows ghosts don't travel to different floors
1: (laughs) they can't be bothered man they're they're attached to physical item listen okay we're off the rails again hey everybody once again we're in the valley i'll say because hey we're in the isdal valley of the episode the dip between the mystery where I like to do some housekeeping, just a little uh, just, uh, organization of notes, as it were. But Red Web Radio is out now. I hope you guys enjoy it. You guys have had some uh, some amazing feedback on that. I know a lot of you like the music we use in the show, and so that's kind of where that came from. So I hope you guys enjoy that as you study or work or what have you. And uh, hey, maybe maybe you'll see one of those down the way in the future, a second radio or something like that. But anyway, uh, we also have some merch if you wanna support the show directly at store.richeteeth.com. Appreciate all the support. We've been seeing a lot of fan art. We've been seeing a lot of photos tweeted at us with the mug that we have or the shirt. So thank you all so much for supporting the show directly like that means a lot to us. And uh, and many more of you have also been tweeting your friends about the show. We're so grateful. So thank you very much. That's the best way to help us out is spreading the love like that and letting people know who might like mysteries that we exist. We're out here. We're talking about them. But yeah, with that aside, let's talk about the sponsors just real quick uh, for helping us facilitate this show. This episode of Red Web is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh cuts out the stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. It offers 23-plus recipes each week, featuring a range of flavors, cuisines, and ingredients so you'll never get bored. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need with customizable orders every week. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences and skip a week whenever you need. I've used HelloFresh thanks to this sponsorship. They gave us a couple meal options, and they recently sent me the bulgogi lime pork tenderloin recipe, and it was really good honestly I was super surprised I haven't had pork in a long time but it was super tender the way they had us uh, my girlfriend and I put it together it was uh, it's it's fun to be able to cook something with your own hands the fresh produce comes right to you it's all proportioned as they say so you don't need to worry about waste or anything just cut up what they give you uh, season things accordingly it it was really smooth and simple and tasted fantastic So if you want, go to HelloFresh.com slash RedWeb10 and use code RedWeb10 for 10 free meals, including free shipping. That's 10 free meals and free shipping by going to HelloFresh.com slash RedWeb10 with code RedWeb10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So this is like her last known hotel leading up to her, her death, is this hotel in Bergen. After putting her suitcases in the railway station on the 23rd, the very same suitcases that we came around to earlier in this conversation, it is then unknown as to what she did, where she went, and all of that before being found dead on the 29th. Around Christmas, the Criminal Commissioner Oscar Ordness, uh gave a briefing saying that the case would not be solved unless she could be identified. But days later, Bergen's chief of police, Asbjorn Bryn, concluded that the case was a suicide. And that was probably heavily reliant upon the fact that she had consumed for some reason, or under some circumstances, consumed 50 to 70 sleeping pills. So many. That's pretty much what they're hanging their hat on. So at this point in time, right, this is a month after the case, or at least after the body was found, there are no more leads. They couldn't identify her. And so, ultimately, she was buried in March of 1971, about four or five months after the whole situation. Her coffin was covered in tulips and lilacs and was made out of zinc. And the reason for this was to ensure that the coffin would not decompose in the case that her identity was in fact discovered down the line and that they could move her grave to a, uh, a more respectful place, right? Her home or near family members. But, um, I find that that's that's nice to hear in a case like this, that they're, you know, preserving the body in some way, or or at least the coffin.
0: Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Preserving the body just in case. Yeah, because it's like an unsolved, kind of like an unsolved mystery, right? They're Mm -hmm. saying it was, uh, you know, presumed that she did this to herself, but you don't really know.
1: Right. You know, hey, and if you, if they figure out who it is, like, let's let the family know and and send it to where it belongs. But ultimately, that's where the investigation lies, uh, at least at the time of the, the incident, everything that went down. Um, flashing forward a little bit into the ongoing efforts on this case, uh, many efforts have been made to trace where the Isdal woman truly came from. In the original autopsy, many samples were taken, including the Isdal woman's teeth, her spleen, her heart, and several other organs. Her teeth were then studied extensively by Giselle Bong, and it was found that the body had extensive dentistry work done and had multiple gold fillings. Bong in doing this study identified the very same tooth gap that many witnesses described, so this kind of corroborates the the eyewitness mm-hmm. accounts, you know. So now we're really starting to pull this story together. And it's it turns out that the gold fillings uh, were an uncommon feature to have in the Scandinavia area, so it clearly kind of indicates that, yes, this is in fact a foreign traveler or in some way someone from a different place who is here for business or some other mysterious works. Bong then also said that he believed that she must have been from Southern or Central Europe or even East Asia, but after Bong's death, Her jawbone and teeth were ultimately lost, supposedly because they smelled. What? Now, listen, if you're in forensics, you can't just be throwing evidence away because it's stinky. Yeah. Okay? (laughs) Uh, I don't don't know exactly what lost means. What? I would say- Bag it and tag it. Bag it and tag it. That's lesson number five, okay? Not even a class. It's just a note they give you. Lesson (laughs) five. Bag and tag. Now, I, I think what happened here was that it was, in fact, bagged and tagged, but when- Uh, This individual passed away. The organization of, of their studies probably got lost and things got shuffled around. And so these things were misplaced. But in 2016, the Isdal woman's case was reopened after her jawbone and other organs were found in Auckland University's archives. What? How they ended up there and why no one knew that is kind of a mystery. But yeah, they resurfaced in 2016. Who got a hold of it? Yeah. And how was it rediscovered in 2016? How did they verify? You know, I guess modern forensics could kind of like, yeah, no, this is the same, but it's interesting. So new sketches were drawn by a man named Steven Misal, and an isotope test was actually done on her teeth by the aforementioned Cripos that I mentioned earlier, uh, and that was done in 2017. Now, if you're not familiar with it, an isotope test is something that identifies the water that someone drinks and the food that they ate as a child when their teeth were still forming. That's a that's an insane te- that's a thing. That's a thing. We went listen. This case was almost I guess as at the time of this testing was almost 50 years prior. It's amazing how far forensics has gone. Oh, that's
0: crazy. <laughs>
1: yeah, from chasing down tags to stores to eyewitness accounts like that old school noir stuff to yeah, we ran tests on her teeth and we were able to conclude that she was likely born from this in France or Germany, and that's why it's a little bit more frustrating where we don't know what language she spoke earlier. Obviously, German has come up factually, right? Yeah. From other, from other accounts, but we don't know if it was German or French that she said to the to the shop owner. And so, you know, we're we're between two countries now. But hey, we figured out that she was either from from the food and water she drank as a kid. That's so cool.
0: That is. That's some crazy... Science is crazy.
1: <laughs> that is science pretty is, cool. Science is crazy. It also seemed that she may have relocated in her teenage years to Western Europe uh, around, you know, maybe during or before the World War II era, right? What? And now that was figured out because, like, your teeth are still forming, they're still coming in, and they, they noticed that there was a difference, right, in her teeth in the formation stage that kind of lined up with Western Europe so that is wild It's extraordinary to me what what a little bit of DNA and uh, an isotope testing can do it, it, They basically figured out her movements all the way back to her childhood. Which really makes me go, listen, (laughs) spies these days must have some fake teeth.
0: Right. What do you got to go
1: through? You got to be, again, for like the umpteenth episode in a row, I'm going to bring up the men in black, the real men in black. This is probably why people look at the real men in black and go, you must be an alien. They must be genetically modified heathens with unidentifiable, like, (laughs) just like no hair, no eyebrows. Their eye color is probably like a fuchsia, you know, like. Can't tell. You just don't know where they're from. A test tube. These are bottled humans. Wicked. Anyway, it, I, but I'm just saying, modern spies have to be nutty. Nutty. Uh, if this is what we can do. Anyway, with these recovered organs, scientists were able to ad- obtain a full DNA profile. Interpol actually issued a black notice for this case, seeking information to identify the Izdal woman. But despite the breakthrough, And despite all of this new evidence, police need another person's DNA in order to test it against and in order to find that match. And as of right now, they can only compare to other police DNA databases for ethical and legal reasons. Right. You can't just hop onto 23andMe and scrub through everybody that exists. Yeah. You just can't do that. But man, if if, if it were me, maybe if I were that scientist, I might be like, no, this is a 23andMe kit for myself scrub a dub (laughs) dub in the the dna pool i've got and send it off you know accidents happen (laughs) yeah but i feel (laughs) like i don't know they trace it we asked you to spit into the test tube not give us a chunk of your spleen
0: oh man you know Uh, with all this like forensic work and all that kind of stuff like good luck getting away with it oh god and like any type of like murder like in 2021 right like i'm you know i'm there's unsolved mysteries and all that kind of stuff all over the place. And yes, technology is also advancing itself, which can help aid evil in in that sense. But you'd have to think like back during like you know the Western days, you mm-hmm. off somebody and no one would ever find out.
1: I mean, it's like Red Dead out there. Yeah, you know, run away a little long enough, your stars go away.
0: Don't do it now. It's like mm, don't dude, step. Be don't, like Don't, don't do it at
1: all. Even if you are <laughs> listening to this in the 1800s, just don't. Just you know, don't do it, period. But. Just don't.
0: Just imagine they got some kind of minority report <sighs> type type of like
1: instrument
0: and it, it's going down.
1: Yeah. The new iteration of this show, the next generation is the head bubble. And that's uh, that's when, you know, the minority report. I don't know if they were humans or, or if they were just people with special powers, but like I think there were humans, but they were just at that special sight. Yeah, they put their heads together, and then like billiard balls come rolling out with with people's futures. Oh like, yeah, oh.
0: dang!
1: No one solved mysteries mm-hmm. then. No, nope. oh they knew they knew before before
0: you even <laughs> did it.
1: Mm-hmm. Future crime, but that's everything we know about this case. All of the you know twists and turns, all the information we have. You know it feels so straightforward, yet no ID uh no one coming forward to say they know who this was no one no one really has an answer and, it, and it's worth asking the question you know is there something attached to the to mom shoot case that I mentioned earlier Is there something here where whether it's directly related or tangentially related in the sense that they're both kind of spies of their time it's it's just really hard to say maybe she was pretending to be a spy maybe she was just bad at being a spy or maybe she was just paranoid? Yeah, it could have been someone that was
0: just, you know, uh, mentally unwell and was just paranoid. And Mm -hmm. then I guess just by happenstance, like unfortunately fell, you know, into the, uh, the ice, the eyeline of someone bad. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: Well, let's dive into the theories. The, the the most prominent theories of which there are three along with a couple trickling of others that, that try to stitch this all together and answer what went on here, or at least what's behind everything that went on here. And, the, theory, the first theory we're gonna talk about is suicide, right? This is the mm-hmm. official police response, at least in the, the initial days of the investigation. And a lot of standout events and findings from this case tend to lend themselves towards this theory. Due to the presence of the sleeping pills and the toxicology report and the lack of any further information, right. a lot of people assume that suicide is the main MO here, uh, that nothing more nefarious is up. And police and theorists that purport this theory actually say that she might've just been a well-off person suffering from some form of paranoia or suffering from somebody coming after her and her just trying to distance herself from those people
0: man if somebody did it like they got away with it like we're talking about how this person is making a ruckus and and being known and, and identified everywhere they go making themselves really memorable but like if it wasn't a um a suicide then
1: someone got away with it you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. damn you know if she is oh man tinfoil hat strap on everybody click click strap it in if she is trying to get away from someone or some person uh, or group of people and she's not a spy she's going to do some pretty typical things that a regular person would do right Mm -hmm. uh you know lightly cover her tracks maybe disguise her handwriting you know maybe uh some fake nameage here and there using a taxi, et cetera, moving around a lot, but they're not gonna be so good as to be invisible because maybe along the way of trying to cover up the tracks, they're like, oh my God, see me, see me and remember me. Because if something goes south, I need a story. I need someone that like can look deeper than the surface. Like the police can look deeper, deeper than the surface layer. But a regular person following me for some sort of mysterious crime might not be able to yeah so maybe they're laying the deeper breadcrumbs specifically for the police but oh god purposefully Oh, that's just blowing my mind open so when it comes to the to the theory of suicide though many investigators at the time and even now do not believe this theory carl halvor oss who was a former Bergen police lawyer and was the last living person who was at the scene of the crime actually said, quote, I remember very few thought it was suicide, end quote. So now, you know, like contrary to what I was saying, you know, some people at the time were saying it's suicide. This is a case closed, you know, there's some big flags here that indicate this. Mm-hmm. But now Carl is coming forward saying like, ah, man, at the scene of the crime and, and in the height of the investigation, yeah. very few people were believing this. And then one last note: when it comes to suicide and you know the burning that went on here, self-immolation is is not super common, but when it is done, it is typically done as a form of protest. Right? You, you can think of monks uh, who have historically done this, and it, it seems unlikely that this is something that she would have done certainly in such a remote location and in such a precarious position right right if no one's around to see it so you know i kind of waffle on the suicide thing you know it could have been a situation where somebody was trying to make it look like a suicide attempt but uh, it's really hard to say it is
0: so hard to say man
1: but that segues nicely at least a little bit into the second most common theory that is you know as, as common with these theories, they kind of go hand in hand. So the second theory is that this was some sort of accident, not necessarily a suicide. You know, Oss, who I mentioned earlier, Carl, uh, also said that some police thought that it might have just been an accident, that she might have fallen into some sort of flames, uh, you know, whether she had a fire open or whatever, uh, that she fell into them trying to get out of them then fell onto her back and that's how she got hurt in some way but again there's no specific source of the flames and so it's it's really hard to say you know some some are wondering hey you know did she have a can of hairspray that exploded was there some really specific situation with the stuff she had at the scene of the crime that wouldn't could, there be
0: like i don't know pieces or shards of the can
1: yeah or? you know unless she fell down to where she was because it's rocky this is where i would say like mythbusters would come through with all of the things that she had on her person uh available to her and they would say can i make a fire out of any of these objects on purpose or by accident and try to recreate this to see if i if you could accidentally make a fire that would be almost sourceless or appear sourceless but ultimately the the part where this theory falls apart is is the presence of the sleeping pills in her toxicology report you don't accidentally end up with that many sleeping pills in you you just you don't. really don't
0: that is that is deliberate
1: I mean, unless it was done post-mortem and that's why they hadn't all absorbed but you know i ah, i don't know
0: uh, man that's deliberate and how much time would it take to do that
1: yeah well, before we go into the third and final, like the biggest meat and potatoes theory we have, right? Obviously that she is a spy. There are a couple other smaller theories that are worth mentioning. Uh, they don't have a lot of evidence to them. They're more an- anecdotal. They're kind of stories at best that mm-hmm. kind of stitch together some of the facts. But I'd be remiss if I didn't try to cover them. So uh, and we lightly touched on them. Um, one is that she was a part of organized crime in some way or that this was the action of organized crime. The other was that she was murdered by a romantic partner. This is a remote area; they got away with it, and that's kind of where I was going with the potential that maybe she's a crappy spy, or maybe, uh, maybe she wasn't a spy. Maybe she did spy-like things in just trying to escape, yeah. you know, uh, uh, an ex-partner or something like that. You know, it's just it's hard to say. But this is where a little bit more information really starts to come out here in this next. Uh, this next section, this, this theory number three that she, and this is oh. the leading theory, mm-hmm. is that the Isdel woman is a spy of some kind right her constant movement her fake names all of these things suggest it uh, her suitcases filled with wigs clothes fake glasses right the, the glasses had no prescription to them right um, you know all possibly ways to disguise herself you know you think mission impossible we're dropping a lot of ip like <laughs> like really a lot of shout outs out. today but like that's what
0: it appears to be though yeah you know like not a good spy but a spy
1: classic spy and that's where i start to dig out the idea that maybe she knew she was made Maybe she knew she was made and so she was really saying like, I'm going to keep doing my spy stuff because I want to keep trying to get away with this. But if I'm truly made, I'm going to leave my suitcases at a place where they will check. Right. We've mm-hmm. the Tamam suitcase had suitcases found at the train station. Maybe that's just the 70s. Right. 60s. Right. You're a spy. You want to get found. If you've been made, you got to leave something in plain sight where people can't get to it because it's in like a coat check. But it will be found and will be attached to you. Damn. No letter, though. No, like. So maybe. maybe oh, my mind is opening. She was made. She was made and she was leaving clues. Oh my God. She was made leaving clues everywhere? Oh, maybe that's what it was. Maybe she was talking to everybody to be like, see me, notice me. I'm going to be dead soon. Like, oh man, oh. but like, that seems like so much traveling for so long. I mean, yeah. that's her job, baby. Yeah. You know, it, another thing on the travel, right? All those passports, it's worth noting. Fake passports, especially at this time, very difficult to come by. Very expensive to make and make look good. So to have several of them indicates that there's a lot of intent here. Okay, that there's a history, right. that there's a professional level of uh, attention spent. Yeah, this was an
0: um, there was an investment here of some sort, mm-hmm. whether it be from her or somebody else. And you
1: know, these days people travel all willy-nilly, right? But Travel back in this time frame, travel and hotel stays were very expensive. They were cost prohibitive at best for your regular consumer. And, you know, many began wondering in the investigation who was paying for this? Or maybe a better question is what was paying for this? What job? What company entity? What oh,
0: what, what organization?
1: Yeah. What organizations behind all this? And what's even more is that she supposedly ate porridge for breakfast, which Apparently, I don't know whether it's just because it's soup or whatever, but that makes it very hard to hide poison. So you know, if you're eating porridge, it's like very obvious if you're gonna get por- you're you're gonna taste it, you're gonna see it. Really? Uh, maybe it shows up in your body easier. I don't know. It's
0: like it's hard to add any type of flavor to porridge. Like what it, is- it could
1: be, it could be that you know, it, that like it's so bland. Maybe what she had that it's like I'm gonna notice if this is off. So whether it was preventative. Or, or, I don't know. But, you know, that, that could be people reading between the lines, but that's supposedly that what she had wild. for breakfast. Yeah. Gnarly. But, uh, you know, what really starts to add to these spy flags that we've already covered that are very obvious it, is that this is the Cold War era, right? Spyism. True. if nothing else was made in this time like this is what all the spy movies really hinge on um you know in fact norway was a founding member of nato which has a naval base in bergen and now, now we're gonna go way into the weeds on this theory so stop me if i go too far You know, there were many NATO exercises in this area. So now we're starting to say maybe, you know, maybe she's a member of NATO. Maybe uh, the the naval activity in the area has something to do with her. There were Soviet ships sighted off the coast, you know, submarines sighted in the fjords of this area. Mm -hmm. And a woman named Cecily Thorsted-Flo, whose grandfather was a police officer in Bergen, had told BBC, quote, once the police in Bergen had been working the case and digging deeper and found some connections to foreign intelligence, it seems like that was when local police were shut down, end quote. So when the police dug in, and to be specific, he was implying Israeli intelligence when he said foreign intelligence. It seems like when they dug in, they found something deeper, and that's why the case kind of went cold and why we've got a mystery on our hands mm-hmm. is because they dug into something kind of way above their pay grade and then they're like no 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 yeah they're like this is not a local incident man at that point like who knows right
0: like her own agency could have turned on her it was like i don't know man right i don't know the spy world is crazy yeah all these crisscrossing
1: and blindsiding just like survivor <laughs> <laughs> You know, on top of that, to add credence to what this uh, this individual's grandfather said, uh, Israeli agents were known to be in Norway at this time. However, based on the DNA analysis that was uh, able to be procured from the Isdel woman, uh, she's not believed to be Israeli by blood or by heritage, but that doesn't stop her from being an Israeli operative in an, in some way. But that's just like kind of a side tangent. There's a lot here. You know, after the Norwegian secret police revealed their documents to the public, another strange sighting was discovered. Berhan Rott, who was a fisherman, had seen, supposedly, the Isdale woman on the coast of Tanninger, which was uh, 13 kilometers from Stavanger. This is all back in Norway. But he didn't remember when exactly he saw her, only that he did. And he claimed that she was watching the penguin missile system being tested. Uh. The penguin missile system was a light guided missile that Norway pioneered in this time.
0: One of the things that makes like all these types of stories just so difficult for me mm-hmm. is it's just like so much of it is just, oh, man, word of mouth, right? Like, did this person actually see this person? Yeah. Right? Are they saying they see someone because they just want to you know they're lying or or is it that like they want to see it right like they want to help out right. the authorities and they're so sort of just like uh i don't mean oh yeah 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 right like i did see that person yeah uh,
1: you know like it's God. it's so in the in the uh you know it's in the papers and everything it's in the news and you just start hearing it and you're like I'm, I'm part of it like yeah i did see it
0: yeah i did see it or you just want to be so you convince yourself
1: well to answer that what's very very interesting okay so again these penguin missile systems were being tested these are light guided missiles Norway pioneered these it was found that her movement across Norway matched up with dates of the penguin missile tests okay now I don't want to get lost in the weeds here so let's just keep it simple there was a missile test in Bergen on March 24th as you recall she was in Bergen back in March specifically March 24th through April 1st. Oh. There was another test in Stavanger around September 11th and also on October 29th. Well, wouldn't you know, the, the Isdal woman was also in Stavanger on September 11th through the 18th. And then again on October 29th through the 30th. So again, these are three missile system tests that she was specifically there on the day or arrived at the hotel the day the tests were done. And then stayed for a few days after. And we have this fisherman who witnessed her uh, on the coast watching these systems. And then also this this fisherman, Rot, then came forward and said that, you know, he witnessed her speaking with naval officers for around 15 to 20 minutes at a time. And on top of all of that, right, now, now we really feel like we're getting answers. The documents show that the police officer that Rot was talking to, he was planning to interrogate Rot but the documents from the interrogation that actually went down have been lost. Of course. Of course. So now, Rot's son, many years later, went onto a podcast called Death in Ice Valley. The son said that his father was approached in a train station by two officers. The son then inferred on the podcast that his father needed to protect himself after revealing what he knew, that the police were supposedly giving him a gun and a knife in order to do this and with this theory it's still uncertain if the Isdel woman ended her own life or if another agent did it but what's interesting is that some are taking this and saying you know maybe she was forced to take these pills and that someone else started the fire to get rid of the body Jesus. Her being on her back maybe stopped the fire because it was wet or snowy or some combination and that's why her back is totally okay some theorize that she was caught uh, as a spy maybe that she was tired of work as a spy but I mean come on She's moving constantly. She's changing rooms. There's codes. There's wigs. There's identities galore. You know, whether she's paranoid or not, it it looks pretty clear like there is some sort of spy activity. Yep. And just outside of this theory alone, it does sound to me, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, you know, These dates line up in a very coincidental way. This fisherman came forward with no real need to. Right. And placed her at the scene of a missile test before these. And that's how the dates were then found. So it's not like he found out about the dates and then said this. So it sounds to me very much like the police got themselves into very much an international uh, situation. And so the Bergen police are like, listen, I... I'm backing out of this.
0: Yeah, we're out. Yeah, this is this is big stuff. No, we're good. Mm hmm.
1: And uh, and maybe that's why, you know, there's no family ties or whatever. But man, there's still more. There's still more. One of the crime reporters of the time, Nut Havik, believes it was someone else and said that her actions indicated, quote, what police call conspiratory behavior. Havik also theorized that the secret police gave Rot the weapon, perhaps believing the Isdal woman wasn't acting alone. So now we're building on this story. Someone named Ketel uh, who used to live in Bergen, claims to have seen the Isdal woman. We have another witness now coming forward. He said he saw her climbing a mountain, followed by two men, all of them wearing what he called city clothes. He then told the BBC at a later date, quote, "'When she looked at me, "'I felt that she started to say something, but she didn't, "'and then she looked behind her and saw these men.' I'm sure she knew they were going after her, end quote. Oh, I just got to believe this. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's what's difficult to me is right. Like you're right that these are just eyewitness accounts. You could just be saying anything. But what's really fascinating is that this fisherman came forward and said something that was then corroborated by a lot of dates, like a heavy level of coincidence. I don't know about, you know, Roth's son and the protect yourself business, but like, and all this stuff afterwards right but if they're telling the truth and this stuff happened yeah you know two men showing up shoving pills down burning her up or whatever like maybe or maybe she tried to off herself and get out of town so she could pass peacefully without needing to be interrogated or whatever i don't know brutal but if if these two men were involved and she was off in the middle of nowhere that could be the missing uh the missing end here the loose end that kind of Closes the rest of the question marks. Who started the fire? Why were the things strewn about? Right. How did she get where she was? You know, how did she ultimately pass away? Was it herself? Was it someone else? Was it an accident? Was she a spy? All of that. But the last note on the spy thing, um, and it could kind of answer some of the, okay, they're a bad spy because of this, that, and the other. It's also theorized that the Isdal woman could have been a sex worker who often changed their look, right? And that's your, your, your makeup, your wigs, your glasses. Some even think that she could have been a honeypot, which was a type of spy that uses romantic and sexual relationships in order to gain information. <laughs> honeypotting. Right? I mean, it's something that's it, you. Yeah. We joke about it, but like, it could be real. Could be. She could be honeypotting. It's just, that's interesting, you know? Yeah. It doesn't mean she's a lesser version of a spy, but it could kind of answer as to. Why she's moving rooms if other people are in and out. It could answer as to like she put the chair out there to ID her room to someone who was trying to rendezvous with her. It could be, you know, it could be a lot of things. Um, but that that little uh little nugget there does attempt to combine the spy thing with the the kind of loose ends that a spy might not otherwise have. But fascinating case. Man, I I don't know. How are you feeling on I, this one? I, I feel very much that spy is the answer, but on that let's I, do that I, right. I, Let's do that scale. One to ten. Ten being we got it. One being we don't have it. How you feeling on this story?
0: God, this story is just throwing me for a loop, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it just everything points to spy. I just want to be like, no, how's it going to be? Sp- no, that can't be the answer. I, w- I
1: want to drop a ten.
0: Oh, man. I'm going to drop a solid nine on this. Yeah. And then I'm going to also add to the fact that, like, either, you know, right, she was a spy or believe that she was one.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's true. You know, outside of the eyewitness claiming to see other people, like, we don't have a whole lot of people seeing others, right? Could be a situation where it's in her head, unfortunately. You know, like a... I, I don't know, man. Like... There's a couple loose ends, and I'm really tempted to be like, I just feel really strongly that it's the spy stuff. We dug too deep, and we won't be able to know the rest because it's classified for many reasons. Right. But, like, I'm a trusting person. I, I really want to drop that 10, but I'm going to have to go with, like, a heavy 9.5. Yeah, I was thinking 9.5, but I was like, I'll keep it to, like... Yeah, we'll, we'll drop a 10 when we really feel like we we've nailed it, you know?
0: Yeah, it's, it's one of those. I just, it's so hard to not believe... That she was a spy, or at least believed that she was one. Like what? Like who else does this? Whatever you know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the who else deals in antiques? Okay, come yeah, on. It's either antiques. you're my grandma That's from the nineties, or you're a spy. Yeah. Okay. Come
0: on. I'm going to have to. Yeah, Come that's a solid nine for me.
1: Yeah. Woo. Interesting case, man. This is one of the few, maybe maybe the first one that we've really covered that I had up into doing the episode itself, hadn't heard of. And uh, it's just so oddly similar to the Tamam Shoot case. Yeah. Um, with just kind of some very similar pieces of evidence and some very dissimilar pieces of evidence. Um, I'm just, I'm curious as to, uh, you know why this one really hasn't been making the cycles or maybe just haven't heard of it. But, uh, I, maybe it's because it really feels like spy stuff happening, but man, I love a good spy story regardless.
0: It does. Well, just yeah, like she was a spy. It didn't seem like she was the best. Then again, Oh my God. Oh, these conspiracies. Yeah. Maybe she wanted to be found and was mm-hmm. dropping hints and making herself, uh, memorable on purpose. I, man, Yeah. I can go back and forth with this for days.
1: Yeah, we could ping pong... The, the ideas, but whew, we'd love to know what you guys think. Uh, you know, we have our Twitter at red pod. We'll post any images that will help you understand and digest this case better. But we also have the, the review system, roosterteeth.com. Again, the Twitter, the, all of those places are fantastic ways to let us know what you think about these mysteries to let us know what kind of mysteries you think we should cover in the future. It's a great feedback loop and we love hearing from you guys. So thank you all for, for your reviews, for reaching out to us, following us, sharing us with your friends, stuff like that. Like that. Yeah. Uh, number one way to help the podcast. We appreciate you. But uh, otherwise, whew, with shivers down our spine, we'll see you next Monday for yet another mystery. Bye bye.